I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. This is a show where two different friends, Amy's like a golden retriever and I'm like a grumpy cat, talk about all the amazing advantages that come from living a bookish life. Each week we do a deep dive Q&A with a book lover, an author, awesome, a bookseller, bingo, a member of a book club, marvelous. We chat with bibliophiles from all over about why stories are integral to who they are. Once again, we have our favorite local bookseller, Sam Miller of Carmichael's Books in Louisville, Kentucky, on the show to talk about summer reads. She is like our in-house bookseller who joins us every summer and winter to tell us what is new and notable in bookstores. Now, not all of these books are the typical fluffy summer books about the beach and booze. We have her cover all genres, sci-fi, cookbooks, local authors, YA, and literary fiction. And we always enjoy when Sam visits us. And this week, besides us, she also got to visit with my daughter's cat Miso who was spreading the love around in the studio while we were recording and we have the pictures to prove it and maybe <laughs> and maybe also the purrs uh, <laughs> might be able to be heard on the microphone I don't know we will see but first Carrie when this episode airs you will be on your vacation in Lake Erie and I think I have mentioned how I really I, I cannot believe that you don't want to read a book about Lake Erie before or while you were there. And so I looked up books, sat there, and even though you were not interested in it, I downloaded one from Libby that I may read. Did you really? Oh my gosh. I think I have a problem. I think you do have a problem. <laughs> I mean, not like I don't have like a million other books that right. I need to read, right? right? But yeah, I think you were just telling me yesterday about a one of your many book club books that you've needed to read it. It's been since what, February or something that you yes. need to get on the stick and my poor book club members. It's, it, it is a book club, but it's a much more relaxed book club where we just meet whenever everybody is finished. And I think that I might be the weak link. I think I might be the only <laughs> one who hasn't finished it. So I do need to finish that. Do you want to hear about the book? Please tell me about the book. Okay. Well, there were actually quite a lot of mystery series that were set there, but not that I don't like mystery series, but those aren't necessarily my jam. But the one that I downloaded, because it did sound like it was in my wheelhouse, is called The Tale of Halcyon Crane, and it's by an author named Wendy Webb. And she has gone on to maybe write eight novels. I believe this was her debut novel, mm -hmm. but it's supposed to be kind of gothic. It's like a modern ghost story this young woman who goes back to her family's ancestral home, which is on a, an island in the middle of Lake Erie. Ooh. Yeah. She travels to where her mother lived, a remote island in the middle of the Great Lakes. Hmm. Islanders fix her with stares and unabashed amazement as they recognize why she looks familiar and Hallie realizes her family's secrets are enmeshed in the history of this strange place. So, you know, I love a good ghost story. And since you were going to a remote island in the Great Lakes, it's, you know, I'm going to live vicariously through you. Well, there you go. There you yep. go. Well, I, I do have books that I'm taking. I, I have gotten a whole bunch of graphic novels that I, I need to read, but I have downloaded some books. I'll tell you what I'm taking Let's see. I downloaded a biography of Shirley Jackson called uh, Shirley Jackson, A Rather Haunted Life by mm -hmm. Ruth Franklin. Uh, I started that last night. I'm going to read that. Okay. And then the drive is about five hours. And so I have downloaded In Defense of Witches by Mona Shalit, um or Chalet. I think one of our guests was actually suggested this book, but I can't remember which one of our guests. Do you remember? Was it Alia Voles? Yeah. So it's a it's an eight hour audiobook. So that'll get me there and part of the way back. Those are both nonfiction. But See, I've got some fiction to take with me. Oh, as okay. Well. I was gonna say, are you taking any physical books? Yeah, oh, of course, of course. You know, I've got books on my phone, books on my Kindle, books on paper, you know, I've, I'm taking them all because I imagine this is going to be a, a fairly, you know, I mean, it's a small island, so I don't imagine there's going to be tons of stuff to do, which is totally fine with me. Those are the best. Sometimes yeah. those are we, the best. We are like low key. We are yeah. low key. So, uh, so what are you going to be doing while I'm gone? Boring stuff like having new flooring installed in my house, uh, which we desperately need because a lot of the carpet in our house is, is original and 
you know, we have three dogs. We foster dogs. Like my daughter fosters cats. Our kids were young when we moved into the house. Needless to say, you know, we probably need new flooring. That is very boring domestic stuff, but that's what my, that's what my week looks like. So I'll be having more fun, I think. I think you will be having more fun and I will be having a case of the morbs. <laughs> I've been desperate to use this term, a case of the morbs. So I saw this on Facebook and apparently someone was going through an old Victorian dictionary and that was a phrase that people used to use back then to say that they have a case of melancholia. And Carrie, maybe I'm going to have a case of melancholia because you're going to be gone from me for oh. a whole week. And I have to I have to restrain myself because you and I <laughs> you and I are two different kinds of people and we vacation differently. So when I'm on vacation, I call you from Italy. <laughs> <laughs> And say, hey, what are you doing? And my response to that is, are you crazy? Why are you calling me? You're in Italy. <laughs> the difference is that you specifically asked me, well, you did it nicely. Don't contact me while I'm on vacation <laughs> unless I contact you first. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I'm very much like I am off the grid. I'm gone. I real life is on hiatus when I am away. And I totally respect that. And I am glad that you just tell me that because then I know and then I won't upset you. Yeah. By trying to contact you. Yeah. So then I can I am a hundred percent certain I will not call you next week from Lake Erie. I I can guarantee that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I but I will probably text you. So. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll wait until I get texted. And then <laughs> when I text you back, it'll be like it'll be like texting diarrhea. They'll just be right. it'll just be all this stuff that comes through. So that's yeah. right. We're going to overload on all the books that Sam is going to tell us about. Listeners want to have like their either their Goodreads app pulled up on their phone ready or they need to have a, a pad and paper. We always put show notes and a list of the books. But, you know, if you're listening and you have a pad of paper and a pen, you might want to jot down some books because Sam tells us a bunch that can keep us busy this summer. So let's talk to Sam. Sounds good. We've got our favorite local bookseller here. Actually, our favorite bookseller globally, I think. Sam Miller from Carmichael's Books. Thanks so much for being here with us, Sam. Thank you. It's always my pleasure. So, Sam, we've been seeing a lot of you at Carmichael's lately. I know. I like it. You guys are getting to be like cheers regulars. People are going to know your name when you walk in. I have yet to be given a beer, though, when I walk in. So, well, y'all need we to generally work on don't that. have those on hand. Although, I, I feel like you guys did maybe had some wine at a recent event. We did. You all had some leftover Chardonnay, and it was quite awesome. <laughs> it was It was. Timothée Chardonnay. Chardonnay. <laughs> Our events coordinator likes to personalize her drinking. <laughs> so it is time again for summer reading. And so we have you back to talk to us about what's new and hot and fun and good reads. Yes, let's talk about something fun and take our minds off the world and uh, imagine that we're going to get to read it on a beach or a front porch or even just your couch with a fan blowing on you if that's all the gas prices will allow. <laughs> <laughs> First up, for some exciting literature, we got some great titles coming. One of my favorites came out, actually it's been out a month or so, the new Emma Straub is fantastic. It's called This Time Tomorrow. It's in a new genre that I made up called Kitchen Table Time Travel. <laughs> which is time travel for people who don't actually think they like sci-fi. It's time travel where it's actually a personal story and the importance is the people in the story, not the mechanics of the time travel. And it's not world stakes. You're not going to go back and kill baby Hitler. Although she does talk about the baby Hitler paradox in this book. But it's actually just kitchen table stakes. It's about one person's life and the lives that person touches. And it's really a beautiful book because it's actually like a valentine to the parent child relationship specifically in this case daddy daughter which sometimes i feel like doesn't get as much love as some of the other dynamics so it's really fantastic emma is a great person period she owns the super cool books are magic in brooklyn i can't recommend this book highly enough it's definitely in the running to be one of my books of the year for sure oh, wow. i am definitely a fan of the kitchen table time travel 
I even like some a little bit more fantasy time travel, but that's in my wheelhouse. I'm not a sci-fi person, as you guys know. I'm sci-fi fantasy week most of the time, but I do enjoy time travel up until the point at least where my head starts to hurt when I'm trying to figure out like, at what point did they know the Terminator did not work to send back another Terminator? And then, you know, your head starts to hurt like an ice cream headache and you're like, oh, I can't think about this anymore. So I like time travel books, but like if it doesn't make sense, then I get sort of angry, minor, like like lowercase angry. Is this a book where somebody like me is going to think too hard about it? I don't think so, because I think that she puts the focus so squarely on the characters and you're so invested in our protagonist and her dad and their relationship that I don't think you're going to worry about it too much. Okay. Like I said, because in the kitchen table one, at least in my definition, which since I'm making it up, I get to make the definition, (laughs) like the mechanics of how it works really aren't that important. And she doesn't really talk about that. Where sometimes I feel like with the sci-fi ones, it is super important that it makes sense how it works. Because then you're like, but wait, on this time when you went, it didn't work this way. And that's inconsistent. Like that's, I think, where people get tripped up. Yeah. If it's just presented in like a romance setting, like a somewhere in time kind of thing where it just happens and you need to accept it. I don't think it's going to trip you up, Carrie. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's really, there's like this sweet spot of, you know, like I've read some books and like, I, I haven't thought about it or examined it or reread the books enough to know like, what is it about this particular book where it works and this particular book? But I think it's something about that inconsistency piece and, and I end up getting frustrated. So, well, you're a sophisticated enough reader that I think you're going to realize what she's going for as opposed gotcha. to nuts and bolts robot how does it work whatever <laughs> she is an author that i've actually never read no, I anything haven't that, that she's written she's terrific and she really is good at like the nitty-gritty family stuff drilling down she does it really really well that's one of her strong suits for sure okay you know if sam miller tells me that it's it looks like it's going to be one of her top picks i'm like well okay adding that to the top well, of my it's list it's one so. of those things too that uh we have competing blurbs like so many booksellers read it wrote about it so there's like, well, we'll put so-and-so's blurb over here in the store, and this person liked it over here, really? and this person okay. liked it over here. So it's it's kind of cutting a wide swath between just the readers who work at Carmichael's, too. That's that's good to know. Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, another one that's fantastic and I can totally vouch for is the new Geraldine Brooks. Of course, she's the Pulitzer Prize winner. She wrote March. She wrote People of the Book. But her new one's simply called Horse which should appeal to Kentuckians, of course. Um, It's actually about a famous racehorse named Lexington. And if you drive her to Lexington, Kentucky, and you see the horse on the signs, that's Lexington. It's like three storylines. One, about Lexington and the uh, enslaved man who took care of him, which frequently, if you look at paintings of that time, like the Alfred Munnings paintings and things, Frequently, there's the confirmation picture of the horse, you know, from the the side. So you see how beautiful it is and how beautiful it's constructed. But there's always someone holding the lead. Most often in those photographs, that person would have been a black man because they are the backbone for which the horse racing industry has been built on, essentially. So one of the storylines tells the story of that man who cared for Lexington. There's also a storyline in the present about... His skeleton, which is preserved at the Kentucky Horse Park, and the person doing research on that. And there's another storyline about a painting of him that an art person is trying to authenticate. So it's three braided storylines all that come together in a really interesting way. And she does a fantastic job of capturing each storyline very well. Obviously, because of her past, we know she can do historical well because she won the big awards for it. But, I mean, it's really super impressive to me how the modern story is and how period-specific and correct the old one seems. Hmm. It's really fantastic. And I look forward to meeting her. We're actually going to have an event with her in the library on the 16th of June. So I look forward to fangirling over her. (laughs) And... That's high praise from you because you are a horse. I am. Horse, it's true. I was going to say nut, but a horse lover. Well, nut is not wrong. <laughs> uh, but also, I'm like a, a dyed-in-the-wool racing fan. So right. I feel like she really did the legwork to, mm-hmm. to do that and to do it right. I mean, I feel like if you just wanted to tell the one story, that would have been enough. But she ties it together in a way and brings in very 21st century concerns about racism and who gets to tell the story and who is represented in a really of the moment way which is makes her a really fascinating read 
I'm going to be at that event too. I'm very excited. Yes, we can fangirl together. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> Another fun one that's sort of continuing in the trend of retelling mythology, which is super popular across multiple, both for adults and for kiddos. There's one called Wrath Goddess Sing that comes out on June 7th. It's by Maya Dean, and it reimagines the Iliad where Achilles is a trans woman. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Wow. For those of you who are like anxiously waiting for the new Madeline Miller, for example, that would be a great read for you. Or also a great read for Pride Month, since we're, yeah. we're kicking off Pride Month these mm-hmm. days. Yeah. You're right. There are so many retellings. You read The Witch's Heart, which is like yes. Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. And then I saw somebody on Bookstagram talking about another book that was retelling a tale from Chinese mythology. Like, we're moving to all the mythologies. Yeah. yeah. And, which is cool, because especially with some cultures that we may not be as familiar with absolutely and i mean it's like ready-made material because it's those things were meant to be told orally so they're full of great drama full of great plots so i'm excited about that one i bet you are yeah um another one that i have read and can vouch for also with tomorrow in the title is the new gabrielle zevin it's called tomorrow 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 that sounds like it's going to be a Macbeth. is that no it's not okay but it's interesting. She wrote one of my favorite books to recommend and hand sell to people called The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery, mm-hmm. which is a, one of those literary unicorns that's a great literary feel-good book, which are surprisingly hard to find. Most literary stuff digs deep and brings up things, which is why it's good, but it doesn't necessarily leave you with that cozy, oh, this is nice. <laughs> um, but she can. But this new one is about two childhood friends who grew up to be game designers which sounds like, oh, I'm not really a gamer, so I'm not interested in that. But it, that's not really the point at all. The point is their friendship. And it's a really terrific friendship story. And I'm so glad she's back with something new because I really, really like her. And she is not near prolific enough for my taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are these m- male friends, female friends? It's male, female male, friend. Fe- oh, okay. Male, female. And they okay. meet as children. One, one of them is very sick at the hospital. And the other one is visiting. And then they, they essentially spend their lives together in one form or the other. And I don't want to spoil anything right. by giving in too many right. particulars, but mm-hmm. there's also a very of the moment, uh, especially in this particular moment, plot twist that makes it also seem like very timely as well mm-hmm. as a classic story of friendship. And then one more I wanted to mention for sure, because she has so many fans and people are so eager for it. The new Taylor Jenkins Reid mm-hmm. comes out at the end of August. It's called Carrie Sisto is Back. It's about a tennis player who everyone thinks is over the hill and she's back and poised to make her comeback. Okay. So I good, great, great for one. tennis fans and people who loved her previous book. I've not read it yet because we have not gotten an advanced reader copy. I guess there, she's beyond that now. She doesn't need that <laughs> yeah. after her successes. So I'm very curious what this is going to be like. You were talking about the other author who's not as prolific. It seems like Taylor Jenkins Reid has a new book every every year. Yeah, summer. Yeah. 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 Well, and I'm, in, I'm interested because the last one where uh, one of the characters was a surfer. So I, I'm convinced that she could write a good sports story Yeah. where not all people who have bestsellers of, of her ilk would I be convinced that she, they could pull off a sports story. But I'm, I think she can. And I'm looking forward to see what she does with it. Do you have What's another category next? for What's us? Category? Well, how about some sci-fi? Okay. okay. I do like um, the sci-fi. Well, in sci-fi slash fantasy, I should say. One that, again, is kind of cutting a wide swath through our staff as far as people who love it. And I can't wait to read it myself. It's called How to Be Eaten <laughs> by Maria Edelman. And it's already out now. But it's about a fairy tale survivor group. So these are the people <laughs> who live to tale through your fairy tales. This is Cinderella. This is Snow White. And they're in a group therapy session together. And it's about the interesting things that happen and are revealed during those sessions. That sounds awesome. It sounds a little bit too like that Grady Hendrix book, Final Girls. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, we'll see. But it's, like I said, my, my coworkers who've read it are adore it and think, can't oh, recommend it highly great. enough. So and you I'm say very it's curious. Maria Adelman? Yes. If a book title and the whole premise makes me laugh like that, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I got to read that one. And that immediately. But it's a good hook for sure. There's also one called Final Strife. It's by Sarah L. Rafari, and that comes out on the 21st of June. Our sci-fi guru, my friend Jonathan, really recommended this one. It's Afro-fantasy. It's combining African and Arabic influences, and it's got a, like a Game of Thrones slash Broken Earth kind of feel. Oh, cool. And for sci-fi people who love a trilogy, it's book one in a trilogy. Oh. So, sci-fi people really do love a trilogy. They do. Yeah. 
The yeah. fatter, the better. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> also, one I wanted to mention that Jonathan's really high on is called Elsewhere. There's a lot of wares in the titles that I'm reading. Um, that's by an Alexis Shadkin, and it comes out uh, June 28th. He describes it as Handmaid's Tale meets The Lottery meets Kafka. Oh, wow. Which is also a very intriguing thumbnail elevator pitch, I think. So. Ooh. That sounds like something you will love yeah. and something I would hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a little piece of news in that I'm going to be going to the Hugo Awards in <gasps> September. Nice. It's in Chicago this year, which is not that far from here, five and a half hours. And my husband is a big sci-fi fantasy fan, and he has been a voting member on the Hugos for years now. He's always wanted to go to one of the ceremony things, and so this is the year. Nice. So I had to buy a membership so that I could go to some of the readings and things, but I'm kind of excited about that. That is know, exciting. I'm not a huge sci-fi person, but maybe it'll broaden yes, my... Yes, that is And exciting. you can bring that to me and help broaden my horizons, too. <laughs> I think sometimes, too, I feel like I get in the mindset of... I don't like that. It's like, well, how do you know you don't like it, Sam? You haven't tried it. Maybe you, there is a specific kind of sci-fi you don't like, but it's such a broad thing these days, and so many yeah. things fall under that rubric. I shouldn't be sit hiding behind, like, that's not my thing. Yeah. Well, like, one of my favorite authors ever is sci-fi fantasy, Alex Harrow, mm-hmm. you know? But I feel like hers is based so much in, like, reality. I think what I don't like is I don't like a lot of world building. And like we've talked about, if it has a glossary, (laughs) if it has a glossary, it is not for me. (laughs) What about a map? If it has a map, is that okay? Map is, mm, it's borderline. Just checking. Just checking. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of Alex Harrow, she's got something new coming. She does. Which is pretty exciting because she has some hardcore fans. Hardcore fans. It's called Mirror Mended. And it features the professional fairy tale fixer that we've seen before. This time, they're helping the Snow White's evil queen get a better ending, which I think is a very intriguing premise. It's a, I don't know if it's a Have you sequel. read it yet? No, but it, it's, no, but I read the first one. So it's... Spindle Splintered. It's yeah. the second book, but I don't know if it has any of the same characters. The protagonist. Oh, or the, the protagonist the, the, is now helping yes, Snow White. Yes, exactly. It's like or, a, another case. Okay. Because in the first book, it was about Sleeping Beauty. Right, right. And it's a multiverse of Sleeping Beauties. So, Is it a novella? It is. Yeah, okay. okay. It comes out on the 14th. So coming very soon. Oh, okay. Some other local things. There's a new Sally Bingham book. For those of you who aren't from Louisville, the Binghams are our newspaper dynasty family. They're the closest we have to, I don't know, uh, royalty in Louisville. (laughs) And Sally is one of the writing Binghams. Uh, She's written other books before, but this new one is about a little told story of her little brother who actually died very young and tragically. And so it's a very small, slim, uh, my understanding is it packs quite the wallop. I've not read it yet, but... Now, is she related to Emily Bingham, who yes. recently wrote the book about my old Kentucky home? Yes. I believe it's aunt and niece. Okay. Mm. But we were having an event with Sally on June 23rd, which we look forward to. She also writes fiction. She's kind of like a utility player writer, but she hasn't had anything for quite a while. And the last thing she did was actually a biography of Doris Duke, which was she spent years and years on and which was beautifully done. But unfortunately, one of those books that came out during the pandemic, mm. you know sank because not enough people could go to events or hear about it or whatever so hopefully this one will get some um, more attention for her i'm afraid to ask but who's doris duke doris duke was a philanthropist a woman philanthropist wife of a multimillionaire who did amazing things with money like if you watch pbs at all it's always the doris duke foundation does this and that and the other thing just a, a really great philanthropist great rags to riches story didn't she end up at the end of her life Things went sort of downhill for Doris Duke. I believe so. Okay. Okay. There's lots of drama in addition to the all the good work she did too. Yeah. And obviously you guys are deeply invested in another local book which I was gonna talk about, which is Half Blown Rose Uh by Lisa Cross Smith, which came out yesterday as we're recording this. Love, Betrayal, Loyalty in Paris. It's one of the buzziest books of the summer, and the author is Louisvillian, so we're super happy to have it, and we were happy to welcome her to the store for her launch party. And yeah, everyone who's read it so far is just raves and raves, so. Yeah, Carrie and I were in conversation with her yeah. at Carmichael's last night, which was very exciting. Yes, it was. Yeah, it's very sensual. If you like a book where you can sort of armchair travel, it's really great because it's set in Paris, and there's a very strong sense of place about it. It's fun and flirty and sexy and french french <laughs> yeah very very french so yeah a good one for book clubs too i think oh 
Good. Excellent. Yeah. And then one final local thing I wanted to mention, also out now, uh, Chris Offit has a new book called Shifty's Boys. This is the second in his series with the Nick Harden mysteries. It's basically Kentucky Gritlet, set in mm. eastern Kentucky. So it would make a great Dad's Day gift if your dad likes that sort of thing, like my dad likes that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I've not read anything by him. When you say um, Kentucky Gritlet, like... Did you ever see the show Justified? I did. And that's, so is that's it kind a, of in yes, the vein of exactly that? exactly right. Okay. Mm-hmm. For folks who love Justified, you'll love these Chris Offits. Okay. And this is a new direction for him. He had written literary fiction before. He has a classic sh- book of short stories called Kentucky Straight, uh, which was like writing about the opioid epidemic before it was cool kind of stuff, writing about that stuff 25 years ago mm-hmm. before. And then he has, also has a great memoir, but this mystery direction is a new one for him and he seems to be uh, enjoying it and the readers seem to be enjoying it too. So I read one of his, these killing Hills. Yes. I think is this yes, the same thing. Oh, exactly okay. right. Okay. Well, I, thought it, I listened to it on audiobook, and I, I thought it was pretty good. So I'm not a huge mystery reader, but I was like, well, checks all the boxes for me. He's That's good. Very cool. Christopher Rowe. What is his new book? Like, what category? It just came out, right? Right. Or- it's a novella put out from my tour. Okay. So it's, it's sci-fi fantasy. Okay. Um, it's kind of like Kentucky, like there's a global pandemic thing that happens. And then like a, a small group of survivors are making their stand. Okay. okay. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's in my to-be-read stack. I mean, it would take, you know, an hour and a half. It's just a small oh, wow. little novella. I, you know, he's an author that I feel like I need to... Like, learn more about. He's had some things nominated for Hugos and Nebulas and things. As far as uh, nonfiction, because obviously you want to give some love to the nonfiction people. Sometimes some are reading, people are like fiction, novel, novel, novel by the pool. But we don't want to leave out nonfiction. One I can personally vouch for, uh, the historian Candace Millard has a new book out called River of the Gods, which is about British exploration, specifically uh, Sir Richard Francis Burton, and John Henning speak in their search for the mouth of the Nile in oh. Africa, in the mountains of the moon of Africa. It's fantastic adventure, just as you'd expect from her, from her previous work. But it also kind of like some of the other books we're talking about, like the Geraldine Brooks, it also does a good job of putting a very 21st century light on what was wrong with British colonialism. And it also gives credit to a lot of the African men who helped support these expeditions, who previously have gone if not unnamed, at least unmentioned in, in the main as far as it's all the glorious explorer mm. and their work and they get the awards and the medals and the credit in the history books, but not necessarily the people whose backs the expeditions ran on. So exactly right. Those people alive. <laughs> exactly right. Literally in this case. So yes, she does a good job of melding the two. So it's still a great adventure story that you can enjoy, but she also kind of sets history to rights a little bit with it. And it's really great. It also would make a great Father's Day present if your dad likes history. You know, I I would like to read more history books, but I'm always really nervous because I don't want to get in a slog of dates. You know what I mean? And And I feel like sometimes if history isn't your natural inclination and you want to hear the story history can be written very well and it can be written very yes. bleh, like tedious yes so. well i think millard is like a lot of narrative nonfiction historians like she does the research that would could read dry cause she has like that depth of and bedrock of knowledge but she writes it more like uh you know an eric larson so it, it unfolds more like a novel or an adventure story okay. less of the dates less of the you know, the dry stuff that feels like a slog. And I guess that's why the good thing about having a local bookseller so that if I were to walk in and go, hey, I want to read some history, but not boring, tedious history, then Carmichael's bookseller. I'm sure you have a history person that tends to read. We do. Yeah. Uh, And sometimes that's me. There's there's others too. Well, there's a lot of great female historians writing books now, like Hallie Rubenhold, who wrote The Five about Jack the Ripper's victims. And You Never Forget Your First by Alexis Coe. And what I like about them, too, is that they bring a different viewpoint to history than maybe we have heard in the past because historians have mainly been white men. So I'm glad to hear that this book is by a, by a woman. Not that men don't have anything to contribute, but it's good to hear well, different viewpoints you know, on we've things. Been, we've been hearing from a yeah. lot of men for a, a very, long time. very, very yes. long time. <laughs> yes, but she's very skilled, so... For narrative nonfiction people, they should rejoice because it's an excellent marriage of author and material. Okay. Speaking of excellent authors, uh, Patrick Ridden Keefe has a new one coming oh. at the end of June as well. He, of course, wrote Say Nothing and Empire of Pain. His new one's called Rogues. 
12 stories of grifters, rebels, and crooks. Ah, so I love those kind of books. I think there have been short pieces that are published elsewhere that just are collected together for the first time, which is why it's come out so quickly, considering normally his books take some time because he does a lot of research. He's a deep investigative reporter. Yes, but he also yeah. writes about it in really mm -hmm. compelling ways that, again, he does the depth of research, but he doesn't feel compelled to share every single bit of research, which is sometimes, I think, what Carrie's talking about, mm -hmm. where it gets bogged down, where they're... They did the work and they want you to see that work. And it's like, okay, I don't need to yeah, see every like, detail. Can this just be like a 700-page <laughs> footnote? Uh, there's also a new one by Ed Yong coming out. He's the gentleman who wrote I Contain Multitudes, which is that science book that was a big hit a couple of years ago. This one's called In An Immense World. And it's a glimpse into the immense world, hence the title, but as viewed from animals' perspective. Mm. So it sounds really, really fascinating. So I'm imagining something like planet Earth in yeah. book form. Is yeah, that kind of, exactly. Am I on the right no. track? I think you are on the right track. Okay. Hmm. Although I don't know if his voice is as mellifluous yes. as <laughs> Attenborough's. But yes, I think you're on the right track. And then one more, which is getting a lot of buzz for nonfiction readers on a kind of surprising topic. Because it's a true crime book about tree thieves. But it's called Tree Thieves. <laughs> and it's by Leslie Morgan. It comes out at the end of June. It's apparently part social history and part true crime about tree theft, which is like a billion dollar industry. But also in talking about it, also she kind of apparently works in, you know, an environmental, why trees are important and why this is a big deal and we should all care about this big deal. Okay, so I'm trying to imagine when you say a tree thief, are we talking about people who are doing illegal logging? Yes. Okay. And also I think some of it is illegal logging and some of it is using illegal means to get permission. So that sort of back-ended okay. crookedness where people who don't have rights sell rights, people take the trees and then they're like, whoa, 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 you didn't have rights to those trees, mm. but the trees are gone. So it doesn't matter because you, exactly. you can't glue them back together. Right? So, I mean, yeah. I think it's going to be like a deep dive into like some of the books we've seen like Big Pharma or Big Oil, except this is like Big Tree. Oh, wow. But it's okay. getting a lot of reviews and a lot of really strong press about such a surprising subject because it does admittedly sound like maybe something that may carry on but <laughs> apparently it's just the opposite like it's fascinating and and like one of those like i never knew that was going on interesting. stories hmm. interesting one more thing to be frustrated about right well, exactly <laughs> but also maybe a really great one for there's been a plethora of great tree books lately. We, I think we've been looking at trees in a whole new way since the like the hidden life of trees came out of you know years ago, and we realized oh they communicate with each other and you know they have these complex social systems. So I think that this book would be very interesting for those folks who enjoyed those books too. Interesting because it's not just the true crime aspect; it's the you know why is this a big deal aspect. Huh. Well, Sam, I know that you are a big fan of mystery crime novels i'm thinking in the past you've recommended a lot of laura lipman who do you have there's a fun one that's coming out on the seventh called counterfeit by christian chen which is about two uh, asian american friends who are broke and they come up with a scheme to counterfeit handbags and then it get, gets weighing over their head so if you like a good heist book mm. that would be a great one to try there's also uh, Riley Seiger has a new book. I don't know if you've read her before. She it kind of specializes in the, you know, women in the window, unreliable narrator kind of thing. Um, this one's called The House Across the Lake. It comes out June. It's about a widowed actress who's in seclusion and sees what she thinks is a murder. And then what is she going to do after that? I thought Riley Seiger she is actually a man whose pseudonym is a woman. I don't know. Should I Google it? <laughs> I'm always happy to be clued in about a new literary e brouhaha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. So this is an article from The Guardian in July 2017. So uh, it says that Final Girls uh, was, I guess, one of Riley Sager's books. It says, Final Girls is written by a man, Todd Ritter. This detail is missing from Riley Sager's website refers to the author only by name and without any gender disclosing pronouns or photographs. And then it says, Ritter is not the first man to deploy a gender neutral pen name. So now I know. Yeah. <laughs> Another new mystery that people are looking forward to is by Paul Tremblay, who likes to combine mystery with horror. Mm -hmm. uh, his new one's called The Paul Bearers Club. It comes out on the 5th of July. It's uh, about an unpopular boy who has set his sight on the most popular girl in school. 
only to realize she has some interesting extracurricular habits. Mm. That one sounds good. I've been wanting to read one of his because he's quite a popular horror and I do like some horror sometimes. I, I think he's definitely not afraid to go dark, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that one sounds like a good summer read too, just because the high school aspect of it, all those high school summer movies, you know, you watch Where Stranger in Things. The woods it's, it's a, and, yeah. Yeah, it's a great, great title too. Yeah. And then um, Alice Feeney also has a new one coming at the end of August. It's called Daisy Darker. And it's great for your Ruth Ware or your Agatha Christie fans because it's a locked room mystery. And apparently, I've not read it yet, but I've heard it has a whopper of an ending. Ooh, did not see that coming. Ooh. One reviewer referred to it as banana pants. <laughs> review. So now I'm really curious about the ending. I love a review that call something banana pants (laughs) that is just that is high praise right there i totally want to hear about that yes (laughs) you know we're going to get into some you know middle grade ya kids books but have you heard that rl stein is coming out with some new books in august for kids i did not know that okay i just read an article about it the other day and i thought there's going to be a lot of people excited about that no, because there's absolutely. a lot of people who that's how they started to love reading was reading R.L. Stein. Absolutely. Goosebumps and there's books. a lot of parents who grew up on Goosebumps who want their kids to read Goosebumps. But most of the Goosebumps are out of print. Mm-hmm. So they're super disappointed and bummed when they come in looking for them, like wanting just the whole shelf full like they had when they were a kid. And it's like, sorry, they're out of print. They don't make them anymore. I didn't know they were out of print. And they brought back a few once they, they made those couple of Jack mm-hmm. Black movies, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. most of them are out of print. So that's that'll be exciting that he's coming back. Uh, as far as young adult, we have a great young adult bookseller, Emma, at our Frankfurt Avenue store I'd like to give a shout out to. She's the youngest employee on the team and has really raised the hand-selling young adult it becomes like going to church. So I would encourage you, if you're local and you have young readers who are in, reading in that section, come to Frankfurt Avenue, ask for Emma, and yeah, she'll be happy to go on for hours about <laughs> her favorites and what your kiddos should be reading. Bring uh, but, a picnic lunch. Exactly. Right, what you're saying. <laughs> but in such a charming and like, uh, I feel seen kind of way. So it's fantastic to see. But Shout outs aside, what we like about YA for the summer, Casey McQuiston, who of course has the adult romances that were so popular, like Red, White, and Royal Blue, has her first YA, uh, which is called I Kiss Shara Wheeler, which is about three people who kissed Shara Wheeler. And so you have to read the book to figure out uh, how it's all going to shake out. Hmm. Her other two are LGBTQ friendly yes. books. Is this yes. one as well? It is. Also a great read for Pride Month. Also uh, NYA, Book Talk favorite, We Were Liars. That's been mm. a huge hit. It came out years ago, but it's one of the books that, thanks to the popularity of Book Talk, has gotten super popular again. It's a prequel to it, and it kind of explains how the people came to the island that led to the story that We Were Liars. I love that book. We read it in our book club. Mm-hmm. You re- mm-hmm. remember it? Yeah, I do remember. Um, like, do you have somebody monitoring Book Talk? We do. Oh, at this point, is it Emma? Because you have to, <laughs> sort of, yes. Also, we have a great social media team who has to monitor that. But it's it's become predictable at this point. Like someone comes in, or like three someones in a row come in and ask for something that's maybe not new. And so your first question is, one, is this for your book club, or two, did you see it on Book Talk? Mm. Because your Colleen Hoover's, your Madeline Miller's. I mean, there's just. It sells books like nothing else. It's like Oprah's book club was back in the day when it first started and people would just go rushing to the bookstore in droves. It's the same thing. Just those testimonials from the heart, especially the ones where people are crying. It's like, oh my God. I haven't watched pe- any book people talk can't I know I probably get enough should, of those books. Yeah. And then they tell their friends and then their friends come and then it yeah. just is a, a very interesting phenomenon. And Often it's hard to feel positive about social media, but I'm really positive about that part of social media because anything that gets people reading more, I think is fantastic. Do you find that the people who are coming in for the book talk books are younger? Yes, or at least it starts that That way. way. But then I feel like then it it just turns into old fashioned word of mouth. And like Mm -hmm. maybe the daughter came in and got it because she read it on book talk, but then she gives the Madeline Miller to her mom and then her mom tells oh, her book club, well, we need to read this because we hadn't read this. And then, you know, there was those book talk. I mean, it's like the old shampoo commercial. And they told two people. people. (laughs) It just kind of exponentially goes out from there, I think. Yeah. And it's just interesting to me what 
two people could talk about the same books perhaps, but one, for some reason, the person's super compelling or they are crying or whatever, <laughs> whatever they say really spe- is meaningful to uh-huh. people. And then, you know, maybe some others don't get traction. It's just very interesting the way that, yeah, to see how people respond. Yeah. Like there's a million cute animals on Instagram, but why does this cute animal, you know, yeah. have this many followers versus right. this cute? Yeah. yeah. It's not all the algorithms. Some, there's something to it about us too, about people. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And then one more YA I wanted to mention because she's one of my favorites. Melissa Albert. She's kind of left behind the Hazelwood series that she was famous for. And now she has a new standalone, which is about a witch and her mom, which I'm really looking forward to reading. Because she's top-notch writer as far as one of my the very best in YA, I think. Oh. So I have the Hazelwood, the first book, I think. but It's one that kind of tricked me because that book starts out as just like really compelling teen slice of life and then makes a veer into fantasy and i'm like wait you tricked me i didn't know this was fantasy but i was totally there for the whole ride so do we have any good kids books we do of course i mean there's lots but a couple i wanted to talk about is one's a picture book uh, by jacqueline woodson who i just love in every format she writes for adults she writes for children she writes for very young children but this new one is a picture book and it's beautiful um it's a nostalgic ode to uh, new york city in the summer it's called the world belonged to us and i kind of feel like i don't know if you guys have seen it on facebook but there's like a trend of meme with talking about seeing fireflies at night drinking from the hose going home when the streetlights came on people sharing that being happy that they came up in that time as opposed to this time and I feel like this is kind of speaking to that same feeling of the freedom of summer and just kind of being turned loose after the school year and the day was yours to do what you wanted and it's a really beautiful celebration of that when neighborhoods were like connected to each other so you could actually get on your bike and go somewhere exactly yes yeah and when you know it wasn't just your mom it was all the moms so like they were all looking at the whole it takes a village kind of thing I think too and the other one I want to talk about is a middle grade one. It's called The Wretched Water Park. It sort of <laughs> sounds like a Lemony Snicket kind of one yeah. to me. Uh, it's by Kirsten White. It comes out on the 7th of June. And get these names and tell me it's not like a Lemony Snicket chapter book. The Sinister Winterbottom siblings <laughs> are visiting their aunt Sophrona. Oh, that is a Lemony Snicket. And then Snicket. in order to entertain them, she wants to take them to the water park, which of course sounds like, of course, a good aunt would take their you know, nieces and nephews to the water park. But this is the wretched water park, so <laughs> things are not quite as they appear. I don't know. One time I got uh, a little bit motion sick on a wa- indoor water park slide, and it, it became a pretty wretched <laughs> water park, so I don't know. It may not be that fanciful then, <laughs> no, is what you're I saying? I think i have to check that out because I love those Lemony Snicket books. When my kids were reading them, I read them all too and a little a little bit dark but in a whimsical way yes you know so that sounds that sounds awesome that's what i thought too i also wanted to mention a couple cookbooks oh um, yes in cookbooks summers. in the summer is a little bit different than cookbooks in the different time mm-hmm. of year of course one that i really like because i as someone who struggles especially it seems like the older i get the more i struggle with dinner and i don't know it seems like it should be the other way around and the more i do it the better at it i get instead of the opposite way mm-hmm. and i'm constantly struggling between I can afford to do takeout all the time or I can afford to buy groceries, but I can't do both of those things at the same time. And I need to figure out what the plan is. But this one is called I Dream of Dinner, So You Don't Have To. It's heavy lifting on the the prep and the planning and easy recipes. So I think that it speaks to my weaknesses in a way that I think may be shared by some other folks who are just like, the big struggle is dinner again. Yeah. Didn't we just eat yesterday? sort of along the same lines as like fun food in the summertime there's a new one called snacks for dinner by lucas volges and it's perfect for people who like to graze Mm. or people who are like ah fancy popcorn is dinner and this is what i'm having today it has lots of small bites big plates it can't lose is his tagline so oh that sounds fun yeah both of those sound good i'm one of those people who likes to try you know exactly a little bit of lots of things yeah and sometimes that's just I think, for, depending on your bandwidth, that's a little easier to put together than this is our entree and this is our sides, and they all have to be done at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all very complicated. And then one I definitely wanted to mention, since we have a new holiday, obviously, Juneteenth is official. Uh, it's not new by any means, but it's official. It's called Watermelon and Red Birds, and it's by Nicole Taylor. 
Uh, and it's cookbooks for Juneteenth and Black celebrations. Mm. So oh. it's historical recipes that have always been used at Juneteenth celebrations with a modern twist. And so it gets a little bit of appreciation and history of the holiday for people who are unfamiliar, but also just great recipes for anybody to make and enjoy. Very oh, good. that's a fun title. Yeah, I like that. All right. Well, we, I think we've covered a lot of the actual books. Is there anything going on at Carmichael's that we need to know about? You have lots of book events. We do. And I on. mentioned a couple. But yeah. the important thing to know is we are back to having in-person events. So hopefully, it seems to me, based on the events I'm attending, both at the store and out in the world, that people are really hungry to be out in the world and doing normal things again. So check your calendars. Check our website, subscribe to our email newsletter because we are having, especially in the month of June, it's like a three-ring circus, <laughs> almost something every other day. So there's lots of things to come and uh, be with people again, which feels really good. Well, this might be a good place for us to take a little breather. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. Okay, we are back with Sam Miller, our very favorite bookseller from Carmichael's Books. We're talking about summer reading, and now we're talking about what we are reading. So, Carrie, you're going to be taking a vacation soon. What are you What are you getting ready to read? Or are you reading? Or have you read? I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I'm reading some things right now that I will talk about in a couple weeks. But I want to mention this very strange book that I listened to. Uh, listen to it on audiobook. It's called Passers Through by Peter Rock. So it is the story of a father named Benjamin and his adult daughter, Helen, and they are estranged, which that's such a strange word, I think, estranged. Anyway, <laughs> so when Helen was a child, she and Benjamin would go hiking and camping in the woods of Washington State. And it was during one of these adventures that something odd happened. Helen disappeared and was found a week later by a couple some 100 miles away from where she was last seen by her father. And so this is the event that led to the estrangement and causes the reader to have lots of questions. So did Benjamin harm Helen? Did Helen wander off or was she abducted? Whose truth is accurate or are either of them accurate? So the story is, is murky and becomes even murkier when a woman enters the picture. You get the sense that she is trying to take advantage of Benjamin, but then she can also be kind to him. And she helps him learn more about Helen's childhood disappearance by talking to the couple who found Helen some 30 years before. It is here that the story begins to feel like something out of Stranger Things. Helen was discovered by this couple almost completely naked. She's crab walking everywhere and her eyes are veering in different directions. Ooh. She can't speak and she only grunts. So you get the distinct feeling that whatever happened to her wasn't of this world. So this book is a little creepy, a little suspenseful, and keeps you on unsteady ground, even at the end, although you begin to understand what has happened and what the meaning of being a passer-through means. Hmm. So it's, it is a strange book. I gave it four stars. It was so odd from the beginning that I was totally okay with the ending being like, I sort of feel like I understand but I'm not 100% sure I understand. I mean, it would be a book that I think would be good for like two friends to read it. Wink, wink, Amy. <laughs> so that they can talk about like, what did this mean? And I think, you know, because I listened to it. And so it's a book that I'd kind of like to now read it, you know, in paper form or electronic form because did I miss things? It's a book that makes you think, but it's, it's definitely a little bent. It's a little mind bendy. Yeah, yeah. Like you're going, I don't know. You know, and I mean, some readers hate that. They like, they want a clear cut all the way through. They want a clear cut ending. But I'm sort of okay with, with a book where you're just not sure what's happening or what has happened. So and there's no glossary, right? No glossary. No glossary. <laughs> nope. None at all. <laughs> so the book again is called Passers Through by Peter Rock. So okay. that's what I read. Sam, you alluded to what you've been reading. Uh, it's My Old Kentucky Home by Emily Bingham. We discussed already the, who the Binghams are. She's a, the granddaughter of the family. She's an historian, and she's written books before. But this one, she takes a deep dive into the song, My Old Kentucky Home, which is, of course, Kentucky's state song. She gives the history of it, 
It's written by Stephen Foster, who's considered the first professional songwriter in American history. And it, it has a lot of baggage, is would be the, the most concise way to say it. Um, it's obviously shared worldwide before the running of the Kentucky Derby every year. But it's actually a song about slavery. And it's been misconstrued and mispresented by people who uh, like want to further a lost cause narrative as a song about a Civil War soldier who's longing for home. But in fact, it was written years before the Civil War as a minstrel song, which is basically how Stephen Foster was able to be a professional songwriter, was writing songs for minstrel shows. And so Bingham does really heavy lifting, unpacking all the history and kind of putting a, a microscope on it and to say, what does it say about our history as a country? What does it say about racism? What does it say that it's so beloved? And not just here, but across the world. She gives multiple examples, including her grandfather, who's overseas fighting in war and like hearing a familiar melody and turning a corner and seeing like a children's chorus singing My Old Kentucky Home in another country. So it's just really strange. And it just, it's the song has a really surreal almost life. And so she does the unpacking of it. And I think with the hope that it will spur a conversation about maybe it needs to be changed from our state song and we need to understand its history in order to maybe not throw it away completely, but to understand what it's really saying and what it stands for and how we really shouldn't mindlessly sing something that way. Like I said, she's kind of uniquely poised to write it given her uh, family history. She's has slaveholders on both sides of her family, including ancestors who are part of the KKK. And her family is, when they owned the newspapers here, uh, they were very liberal, like staunchly liberal, like the last name Bingham would have been uh, synonymous with the word liberal. Yet she tells a few stories too about her own family, like the time Muhammad Ali was rumored to be moving into the neighborhood and how you think, oh, the Binghams would welcome that. They'd be on their front lawn with signs saying, you know, welcome champ or whatever. And in fact, it was actually quite different. And her family was very upset about the even possibility of Muhammad Ali moving into the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, the greatest of all time and the most famous Louisvillian of all time. So imagine what they might have felt if it was just Joe Clay who wanted to move in next door. So just really some, some really deep diving in her, on her part. I'm not done with it yet, but I appreciate her hard work, years of effort, obviously. And it's just really one of those books that makes you think, and especially about something that's near and dear to me as a Kentuckian. When I went to the book event, my initial thought before I went to the book talk was that this might be sort of a niche book, like really only interesting to people who live in Kentucky. But what I came away with, but it's it's more than just that particular song. It's sort of about how our culture has glorified things and sort of smoothed over history of things that have to do with race in a way that isn't healthy. So it's not just about the song, but it's about other ways that that's the case. And I had just finished a book at, uh, when I went to see that called How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith, which is also about that because he goes to different um, historical sites or monuments around the country and how they deal with their role in slavery and, and racism. And some of them are doing great work about being very truthful about what happened. For instance, like at Monticello uh, with Thomas Jefferson and uh, his slaveholding. But then other places, again, are still trying to sort of smooth it over. So I think it has implications far beyond just people who live in Kentucky about their state song. Absolutely. And I've, like I said, it, it, she's kind of unearthing maybe a little bit of a path forward about how first you investigate and, and find out the whys, and then you can make decisions about going forward, like what it should look like going forward. And I was curious to see, too, given her stature in the state, if this would spur like a statewide discussion as far as, is this time to change the song? Is this time to let it go? But it doesn't seem to be having that kind of traction, at least not yet. The book's just been out for a few weeks, but I haven't really seen a groundswell. I was wondering if this would be the time and this would be the tipping point, but I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. You know, you made me interested in reading it because I think so many times we we do things and we don't ask the question, well, why are we still doing this? Yes. Like, who decided that, you know, like, I think that question about lawns all the time. Like, who decided that lawns have to look a certain way and why are we still listening to that? You right. know, we, I don't think we ask ourselves that question enough about a whole lot of things. Agreed. So I think we just like to 
be Tevya from Put It on the Roof and say tradition. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's not always a good answer or good enough for answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's My Old Kentucky Home, and it's written by Emily Bingham. So I listened to a book called Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey by Florence Williams. And I heard about this book on another book podcast that I listened to called the Book Riot Podcast. But when they recommend an audiobook, I often like the audiobooks that they recommend. This is one of those. And so this is a nonfiction book. Florence Williams, she's a science writer and a nature writer who has done a lot of work for Outside Magazine and and publications like that. And the book is the author on her own journey after her divorce, after she'd been married 25 years and she was almost 50, her husband told her that he wanted a divorce and she was kind of blindsided by that. And what she found is uh, as she's going through this divorce and after that her health really declined, she was having a really hard time moving through it. So she decided to write a book that follows her from the onset to the end of her marriage up to two years after. That's one part of the book. Along with this memoir type narrative, there's a look at the biological and the social science pieces that happen to our body when we go through a heartbreak. William narrates this book, but what makes it interesting is that along with this two-year journey of analyzing heartbreak and more specifically her personal heartbreak, she records conversations that she has with her friends, with rebound lovers, scientists and even herself in real time and those pieces are sort of interjected into the narration so the end result is something that sort of feels more like a narrative podcast than a straight-up audiobook and what's interesting is that recently i have read several novels about women dealing with heartbreak in their own ways the lisa cross smith book um half-blown rose that we were just talking about is about a woman who's having you know, a marriage crisis after 25 years. And I also read one when I was in Italy called Six Days in Rome by Francesca Giacco, which is about a woman who has been in a relationship and finds out that her boyfriend is married. And so she's going through heartbreak. So doing this book, this creative nonfiction book about heartbreak, while I've been reading those books, actually helps me understand the protagonist of my book a little bit better. And also, you know, I've had several friends in recent years who've gone through divorces and it helped me understand their feelings and things that, that they did after a divorce a little bit better. Um, this book is pretty focused on the divorce uh, because it's half memoir, but it really could be applicable to any kind of heartbreak, like the death of a loved one, um, the end of a, of a close friendship relationship. But anyway, I really enjoyed this book. And if that subject sounds like something that would interest you, I would recommend it. I don't think it's for everybody. It does get a little wonky sometimes to me, the sections about the social science and the biology part of it. But it was really fascinating. Like one thing I learned is that loneliness is a bigger danger to your health even than smoking or obesity. Wow. wow. And in, in Britain, they actually have a ministry of loneliness that they have a government minister who tries to come up with programs around the country to help people connect with one another because loneliness has become such an issue. Wow. Which so, makes me think, I mean, you saying that makes me think that, you know, the, the fallout from the pandemic mm. is going to be uh, probably a lot worse than than we think because not only did we have the virus but we had just the loneliness that that right. went along with it yeah and it's it like that that book the body keeps the score it's like if you've had this blow your body is gonna t you know have the mm -hmm. take the toll of it yeah mm -hmm. interesting so it was it was pretty fascinating I recommend it so the name of that book is heartbreak by florence williams very good sounds like a good one well sam as yeah. always it's, it's been awesome <laughs> to you. see you and to hear about all the great books that are coming out. So be sure to check out Carmichael's either online or in person. Be sure to get yourself some summer reads. And we have a, a guest audio editor here, Miso the Cat, who has been, if you hear purring, and I'm probably not going to be able to get rid of it, he's up here right next to Sam making friends, getting belly rubs, and purring his little heart out. 
Thanks, Misa. You can find Carmichael's books on all social media platforms, plus you can order books directly from their website, and they ship. Just go to www.carmichaelsbookstore.com. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at the Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.